You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hi, this is Paul from Outer Loop Coaching and OuterloopCoaching.com. This week, I'm here to talk to you about whether you should record an EP or an album. First, make sure you go to OuterloopCoaching.com, download Mike Mowry's The Music Management Primer. It's free. It's up there for you. It's waiting for you. Come get it. If you're listening to this on the Managemental Podcast, be sure to go over to the Outer Loop Records YouTube page so you can subscribe, like these videos, maybe comment, participate in some discussion. Good place to be. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the Managemental Podcast so that every week you can get great information, not only from little old me, but from Blasco and Mike Mowry, who've got awesome 21st century modern music business information you can apply to your career every single day. Okay, so let's get to it. Should you record an album or an EP? Here's the answer. Unless a record label is paying the bills because they think that they can sell your album, record the EP. I got five reasons why. Here we go. One at a time. First, number one, you will learn how to release recordings better each time you do it. So do it more often. Now, this doesn't matter whether you are uh, uh, putting stuff out on a record label or doing it yourself. It still is something you will learn. There is something you will learn every single time you go through a release cycle Humbly recommending the Release It Right program from Our Loop Coaching right here. But you will learn a little bit more about how to do it the right way every time you do it. So don't put everything on an album. Break it up. Make it two or three EPs. I promise you the third EP will do better than the first because you will have learned so much about how to release your recordings the right way from having done it before. Okay, number two, you want to build some anticipation in your fans. If you put out a full album, that's all they're going to want to hear from you for the next two, maybe even three years because you've given them so much. Might as well stay really present in their mind while still putting out music that they can, they can consume. Do it more often in the form of an EP so they'll come back wanting more and wanting more and wanting more. By the time you're ready to put out an album, you should have your fans begging for one. Number three, spend what you would have spent in the recording studio over all those extra hours recording a full album Spend that on a producer. I talked about this last week, so make sure you go back if you haven't heard. But a producer is crucial, crucial to your recordings, so make sure you use one. Use the money that you'd spend on a full album. Instead, do an EP and use the money that would be different, uh, be the difference on a producer. Okay, number four, you don't have enough good songs yet. 
And even if you do save a couple for all those record labels that are going to be banging down your door trying to get you to sign with them. You want to be able to say, yeah, you thought that was good. Look at, listen to this and have some more songs that are maybe even better than anything you've done before. Have them in your pocket. It'll help you when you're negotiating your first or second or third record label deal. It's huge for your career if you have something that a record label thinks that they can sell. And if if you've got something real, as in real songs you've already re uh, already written, maybe even already recorded, but you haven't put out yet, that is more valuable than promises that I've got more songs for you. The record label will absolutely love it. Okay, number five, songs matter more than song collections. This is even more true today when everybody's consuming their music one song at a time on Spotify playlists and other streaming sites and YouTube videos. Don't put the song collections just don't matter as much anymore. Yes. It is still really great when your booking agent is able to sell the the promoters and all the markets you want to go to because you're out promoting a full album and that will help that. But if you don't have a booking agent and you don't have a country's worth of promoters waiting for you to call, it doesn't matter. You might as well just do couple songs at a time, three songs at a time, four songs at a time. You don't need a full album. So there you go. Five reasons why you should be recording an EP and not an album. Did I convince you? If you're watching on YouTube, put down in the comments down below. Yes, I convinced, uh, I convinced you. No, I didn't. I'd love to know. Next week, let's move on the beyond the uh, pre-recording process and the recording studio. Let's talk a little bit about what you're going to do with your recordings. Next week, we're going to talk about three things that you need to consider but you probably haven't about what needs to happen with your cover art. So be sure to come back next week, wherever you're getting this from and check that out. This is Paul from Outer Loop Coaching and OuterLoopCoaching.com. And I'm signing out. I'll see you next week. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Manage Mental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. This podcast is propelled by your input and feedback, so please rate and review and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry. Rolling down the street, smoking Blasco. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> Figured I'd, I'd change it all up. Hey, how are you, man? <laughs> all good, man. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, buddy. Uh, in the last three episodes... We chatted about some advice from our industry pros. In case you all missed it, we did a, a three-parter. Might have even been our first three-parter. Maybe, I don't know. And uh, But those are really great episodes, so check it out if you haven't already. This week, we talk about some more predictions for the future of the music biz. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. Yeah. So, Mike, I found this... Um, 
I found this uh, post on Hypebot, as per usual, um, five music industry predictions. I know we've done a bunch of predictions. However, there's a few in here um, that I wanted to kind of dig into that we hadn't before. So thought, fuck it. Why not? Let's do it. I'm in, brother. Nah, yeah. I'm, I'm in. Are we... You know, predictions are, uh, I don't know what predictions are. I'm sure there's some sort of saying <laughs> about them. <laughs> um, but the, the music business is evolving at an unprecedented rate. Less than 10 years ago, no one knew if consumers would embrace premium streaming platforms. And less than five years ago, the idea of communicating with a speaker in your home still sounded like something from the Jetsons. 2019 is shaping up to be just as wild as any year prior. Streaming is now the most popular way to access music, but there continues to be a demand for physical product. Smart speakers are helping people consume more material than ever, yet many fear the access those products give corporations into consumers' private lives. There's also an entire generation of music legends embarking on farewell tours, young acts trying to establish themselves as the next big thing and an ever-present chance that someone no one has ever heard of will spring to the top of the charts thanks to a viral video, a meme, or a song stream. We cannot and would not pretend to know what the future holds, but there are things we feel could benefit that could easily happen in the months ahead. Here are a few. Number one, Fan clubs are back and more beneficial than ever. There's also a problem with exposure on social media. An artist can have 10,000 fans on either platform, but the number of people who see their updates is far less. The only way to guarantee reach is through paid promotions, and many in the industry are struggling to see the point of giving money to third-party services to reach their fans. The potential solution to this issue is fan clubs. Anyone can choose to follow an artist on social media, but those who want direct access and knowledge of new developments can do so through direct support that benefits the artist and makes it easier for music to be their sole source of income. Artists, in turn, thank fans with exclusive announcements, chats, pre-sales, new music streams, merchandise, and anything else that comes to mind, everyone wins. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I can't agree more. It's like we're in this information overload uh, economy and people do, they crave something that's actually tangible and real and, and access and access to things, whether it's just in advance or something totally new, a sort of experience that no one else can get. Right. It's like, cool. At first you were on some sort of social media platform and, you know, an artist was doing something you know, that was unique, meaning, oh, they're going live or they're recording a video and it's sending out. And and at that point, not everybody was on these platforms, right? And now everybody's on the platforms. The platforms are totally saturated. And so like the only way to really get something that other people don't have is to experience it, you know, in a limited capacity in this, you know, a lot of what I'm thinking instead of fan clubs is more the VIP experiences that many of our artists do at shows, but it translates to fan clubs as well. It's like, how are you limiting access? So, uh, you know, if I'm a bigger fan of a band than you are, 
right? I'm willing to pay. And that way I can run around town saying, oh my God, did you see that, you know, such and such did this unique thing that only I participated in? Um, so I get why it's working. And I think many of the people out there probably get why it's working. But to me, it's a really, you know, profound advance in in our artist bottom line. Mike, whenever I was a kid, I was a member of the um, Bionic Man fan club and the uh, Star Wars fan club. And the Star Wars fan club newsletter was called Bantha Tracks. Just so you, just so you know, dude. Just so, every, it's just so everyone knows. Yes. Um, so I, I am no stranger to fan clubs and to have that extra layer of access is pretty cool. Right. Um, the, the, uh, you know, and I think maybe if someone knows, I mean, I, I think maybe part of it is that it, I, I mean, like, I mean, I could be totally ignorant to it, but I don't know that there's like a fanclub.com website that's that a band can actually go on and cre- and easily create some sort of subscription-based model that's easy to plug information into, right? Like from from like a mobile device. Um you know, I mean a, a newsletter, you know, mailing list is one thing. I I don't see many many bands doing that on a very consistent basis, at least not well executed. Um, you know, I mean, unfortunately I feel like a lot of this, the, the problem of delivering the goods on a fan club basis of delivering, like they're saying, like all this consistent content of, of exclusive announcements and chats and pre-sales and all that shit. Like, I just don't see anyone doing a good job at executing that. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, so, a band that gets started early on, like on, on Patreon or something, they, they quickly lose enthusiasm <laughs> for that. And then the people that are subscribing start to get bummed out because they, they have the, the, the band isn't delivering the content and stuff. And it's just kind of like, it feels like a band that can actually consistently deliver content on just on Instagram alone is almost a success in my book. Like if you can pull it together enough to consistently deliver content on one platform, you're amazing. So um, as much as I think this is a great idea, I just don't know that I've seen a good example of it being well done. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges as you know, all these tools fall into artists' hands. It's like, yeah, now how do you manage it and how do you police it? And as the case you indicated, how do you stay motivated? Yeah. And you're right. I mean, I think the website of, you know, du jour, of course, you know, is Patreon, um, which will, I'm sure, have its own expiration date. Um, but you, you're right. I have not really seen a plug and play or a consistent, you know, spot where you can implement, um, you know, uh, a fan club thing. Maybe it's what's next. I do know that, uh, you know, one of the most popular um companies that i use a lot is a company sound rink you know they we do that mm-hmm. for the vip experiences um you know uh at shows and i do know that they've you know messed with a subsidiary called fan rink and i've explored it a couple times uh with various artists and you know didn't really get anywhere i think the challenge is yeah it you know you and i both know from managing artists you get them out on the road and set aside an hour or whatever it may be to have a meet and greet. Okay. That's easy. They're there. They're captive. They're in a captive audience and the content, you know, 
isn't really that important. It's somebody standing next to taking a picture with, you know, their favorite artist in this really cool capacity and they're getting limited items, presumably, or whatever it may be. And I think that's just that next lift to get to, like you're saying, consistent content or consistent, whatever it is, uh, in the, you know, web space or phone space. I just don't think we're there quite yet. Yeah. Uh, number two, competition for booking grows as tribute bands gain popularity. The legends of modern music have begun to leave the spotlight. Some have died, but others are choosing to retire. In the last year alone, Paul Simon, Ozzy Osbourne, Leonard Skinner, Kiss, Slayer, Bob Seger, Elton John, and George Clinton have all announced or embarked upon farewell tours. That's fucking staggering. <laughs> Whenever you see that. that I mean, dude, and there's just so many more to come. <laughs> oh, like, my God. And that's like major, major, major artists. Yes, right? yes. Oh, so, uh, yes, it is. It's a shocking to look at. Uh, the solution, both for fans and venues, in need of talent alike are tribute bands or cover bands. The cost to book these acts is low, hey now, which means tickets are reasonable and the target market is old enough to ensure strong beer and liquor sales. Tribute bands or cover bands make it possible for venues of all sizes to host events promoting the biggest hits of all time for a fraction of the price demanded by the original songwriters and performers. They also make it easy for people to have a night out with live music without taking risks on artists that might not entertain them. I mean, this is like the worst prediction. And and I don't mean because it's not true. I just mean because I don't want it to be true, <laughs> right? Anything that just says competition for booking grows is like, oh, I mean, it's such a saturated place already to me. That the fact yeah. that, I mean, I guess competition doesn't necessarily mean that, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, uh, yeah. I, I do think it's sort of shocking what, you know, as we just talked to look at this list. Um, and I, I get it. I mean, I had a, I was talking to somebody about Greta Van Fleet yesterday and, and just, you know, this was an older guy who Led Zeppelin was like his band growing up and, you know, he's like, look, I, this is a guy who was film producer and had done some stuff and had, had worked with Greta and interviewed them and had some footage. And he's just like, he's like, I didn't get it at first. Right. And, and again, Greta's not even a tribute band, mm -hmm. although they easily could be. Sure. You know, he's just like the audience is full of older dudes who miss Led Zeppelin and or, you know, never saw them or, you know, it's been so long and full of young women. And it's like. No matter what, you and I can relate to this because I hate to say it, we are growing older. Like we all kind of want to be able to rekindle that feeling of where we were in our youth, right? Like that becomes ever more prevalent in people's lives as they get older. Only makes sense. There's more distance between the best times of our lives, even though we have great lives now. But like, you know, take me back to when I was 14 and I'm in, you know. So if that means that, yeah, I get to see Slayer. Okay, well, now Slayer's gone. So I think I think some of these, it's going to take a minute, right? I don't, 
but maybe you can speak from more experience. I mean, you basically have a, a fucking Black Sabbath tribute band <laughs> that's still going on, you know, or it's going on right now. So I'd love, I would love to hear your point on this. The way that I look at this is, uh, well, obviously this resonates with me in a big way in that, you know, I, I'm, I'm two parts, this particular item. I'm one part, part of a band that is in this list of bands that are retiring and in the other part of it, I'm in a cover band that, you know, d- does work, right? We, we, we go on tour and we do stuff as a, as a cover band, as a Black Sabbath cover band. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of interesting. However, I think that in the context of this, if we're talking about predictions um, as tribute bands gain popularity, I think I, I, I like to look at this as opportunity, um, if you're, you know, a younger musician, artist, band, uh, listening to the show, uh, I, th- I think that there's potentially a way to look at this as an opportunity to either maybe be able to create a career playing music or supplement a career by playing music. Um, because when you look at, I mean, you can look at some of the, you know, look, I've, I've seen, I went to go see an Aussie tribute band play the other night. It was fucking hilarious. Um, called they're called Oz Mania or whatever, and they play. You know, they played you know some place by my house, and there was like I don't know fifty, sixty people there. But it's not. But it's not so much about. It's not so much about that. Is that they they got to play music, right? And they and the the, the 60, 70 people that were there. We're having a fucking blast. You know, they were having a great time. And um, so, you know, in, in, it's it's potentially tougher for a, a guy, a brand new band of original music to get a gig, whereas a cover band or a tribute band, you can get gigs. You can play because people, if you market yourself even half ass, you'll get people to show up that will spend money in the bar and the clubs will be stoked because otherwise they would just have a black night with nothing going on. So clubs are, are stoked to book these types of bands. So once again, thinking of it in terms of opportunity, you know, maybe there's a band that you're, you know, super, you know, that you're a super big fan of that you can potentially create a cover version or a tribute version of, or maybe you even, you know, cause I mean, think, think of, uh, Think of the the Beatles cover band that's in Vegas, right? Um, yeah, like they, I mean, they created a real show. Like those guys, I can't even imagine what they must make annually as guys that play music, right? I mean, six figures at least. Oh yeah, you know, um, you take and then and then for instance, like you take like Max Sabbath, who's a Black Sabbath cover band, but they're but they're they're all McDonald's themed. Like they change all the lyrics to be more about like ha- hamburgers and fries and Coke or whatever. But the thing of it is, is it's a real business. Like they go on tour and they they draw upwards of like a thousand people a night, <laughs> you know. And and they've been and they've been building their brand, and and they get to play music. Um, I think the thing that the interesting thing about my cover band that we always joke about, it's me and it's Zach Wilde and it's Joey Castillo, who was the drummer in uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Like, you know, the th- it's a, it's a somewhat of a super group of sorts. Right. But we are a cover band of all Black Sabbath songs. And yet the three of us have a pedigree of music, 
right? As, as, as players, as, as, as credible dudes in, in the, in the business as musicians. But we joke that Zach Sabbath as a cover band does such good business that if the three of us started an original band of original music, it wouldn't even do 10% of the business that Zach Sabbath does. Um, Dude, you nailed the point, yeah. like, which I know you were trying to do, yeah. but it, you basically are living the example of what the truth is. Yeah. And that is no matter what, with these tribute artists, the same rules apply to being in a popular band. Most likely you got to be good, mm-hmm. you know, if not great, which you guys are great. You know, you and Zach, of course, I mean, you're legendary performers. You performed on, you know, the biggest stages, you know, ever all mm-hmm. over the world. I can't, you know, I couldn't get up there and do that, right? I don't have the 10,000 hours or whatever it is, right? I could get up there and and do 50% of it, but I'm not, you know, I don't have your experience. And that is what, you know, is so cool. But it's also, it brings such a good point. It's like, all right, it's really freaking hard to, to replicate something as good as Black Sabbath is. Yeah. And so- Inevitably, even in the trip, you know, I guess the, the, the interesting thing is for, you know, the housewife or the dude who's just working nine to five and maybe played music. There's not that many people that really are, are going to care. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's a Friday night. You want to go out, you want to hear some freaking Sabbath songs or Elton John or whatever it is. Yeah, the great ones are going to end up being the Beatles in Vegas, but the good enough ones are totally fine for Springfield City, anywhere USA, you know, in the local pub. Again, like they said, selling beer. So, yeah. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. You know, and I mean, I you even think of Steel Panther. Like Steel Panther originally was a band called Metal Shop and they did a residency. They played in LA at the Viper room every Monday night or Tuesday night. And it was sold out every single time. And they started off as only covers. Like they were just, they were just a, a you know, a strip music hair metal cover band. Um, but you know, they had their own shtick. It was always, a, it was always a comedy act with a rat song and a Motley Crue song and whatever thrown in. But over the years that developed and got bigger and bigger and bigger to where now they don't even touch covers unless it's you know part of the, the shtick. But now they're I don't know four or five records deep into all of original music, and that but that started with being a cover band. So because they had an angle, um, you know, it's like so it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a thing where you're a specific band covering. You can be an era. You can be a hair metal era cover band. You could be a disco cover band you could be a funk cover band you know there's so much things you could do but i just feel like there's potentially more opportunity for you to play music in and make money in clubs or wherever if you're able to put something together that might be considerably less frustrating and more fun than your own band so yeah and i mean we we could kill this point which hopefully we will right now it's one of those where 
you know, I think the Steel Panther one's a great example. It's like, okay, you've built the platform to a point where people trust you because they were good. Mm-hmm. And then they wrote original music that people like, Yeah, right? Had they gone and written original music that people didn't like, we'd be talking about a band that's like getting booed off the stage or they've got reverted to only playing covers. Mm-hmm. And I think the takeaway is, and, and, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, many people while they're in aspiring bands are working a day job or, you know, working in the gig economy. Hey, maybe part of it is you, you know, you hone your skills by forming some sort of cover band or even a, you know, how many times have you been to a wedding and seen a dude and you're like, man, that guy is freaking great. And you talk to him or her afterwards and they're like, yeah, I'm in some band that can't get a leg up anywhere. And it's cause yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're honing their craft of playing live in something that people care about while they're still trying to figure out their way of crafting great songs for their original stuff. Yep. Number three, Apple Music almost catches up to Spotify. Spotify is the reigning champ of music streaming. For the last decade, no other premium streaming platform has been able to compete with the popularity of Spotify, but that could change in 2019, question mark. Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered this in some capacity. And, yeah. You know, what what I really want to know is and and actually you know, believe is there's something that we're not even thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, I mean, uh, hell Amazon, who knows Walmart, you know, for all we know is going to come in in a year or two and just have rethought it. Or, I mean, you know, I, I do think it's healthy. We're going to need multiple things. And if we look to the other forms of entertainment in particular movies and television, you know, Netflix is the King, uh, which in my mind, that's where Spotify is. Um, you know, Amazon Prime is huge, which is kind of like, you know, they, they could come up in the music space, but it's also sort of where app, you know, the idea of Apple, Apple's got a stronghold in another, you know, another form of business and they're, they're doing this well, uh, you know, meaning they didn't start like Netflix did just to, you know, solely to do this. And then you've got, you know, the Hulus and then, you know, whoever else keeps popping up. It seems like there's three or four more. You know, Pluto TV is some billboard that I saw while driving around your amazing city. And um, I I do think that Apple's going to, you know, make some headway. But I'm really excited because there's going to be something else that we're not even thinking of. Isn't it possible, Mike, that there's no winners here? There's really only losers because the reality that this paints is it doesn't matter who's more popular, Spotify or Apple or Amazon or Pandora, because the reality is there's no more there's no more cds <laughs> that's it's that's all it's the reality is everyone is going to be streaming music that's that's what that's what this tells me right eventually in our lifetime no one will buy any music because it will all be accessible on your phone data free no problem completely immersive you know, and you'll have access to every song ever written at all times. I don't think that makes us all losers. In fact, I think, I think we all get to win here because our challenge is we're kind of holding on to an old paradigm and there's one that exists. You know, there's a whole generation of, of people coming up that, that haven't ever even cared about a CD or physical product. Mm-hmm. And they are going to, you know, I mean, look, go back to the first thing we're talking about fan clubs. 
Fan clubs have existed forever. For artists that you and I manage, fan clubs is something that's only come about because of, I don't want to say because of streaming, because that's not true. That said, part of the rationale in somebody's mind is I'm not spending 10, 15, 20 bucks on physical product of music. So let me apply that 10, 15, 20 bucks somewhere else to a band. People do want to support the things they really care about. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I love the streaming economy. I, I mean, I, it is beautiful to me that at any point I can, you know, somebody can send me the link to a song while I'm, you know, uh, walking, walking for, you know, to get a cup of coffee and I can pull it up and play it and check it out right then and there. To me, that is, is worth, worth everything. Yeah. Look, I, I'm definitely not trying to paint a negative picture by saying that I'm a loser. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm a winner in this because, because I am a, a happy Spotify user. However, we cannot ignore that there is a narrative in the business that the, the lack that, that the payouts are less artists. A lot of artists feel that they lose in the streaming economy as it becomes more and more. Um, there's more to compete with the, the you know, it's it just, it just, I, I just can't ignore the fact that there is that narrative, even though I don't subscribe to it. Um, I, I do believe that there are a, a huge contingent of people that do feel like that the more that this happens, the more that they are have less of a possibility to have a success and compete in this world. Yep. Uh, number four, streaming services become news outlets. Think about consumption for a moment. Virtually everyone is accessing music through streaming services. Blogs still host premieres, of course, but the vast majority of consumers are hearing new songs for the first time through their preferred streaming platform. With that in mind, it makes sense that those services would also consider offering tour dates and other relevant information that could be achieved by hiring writers or through further empowering artists. Either way, value would be added. So I think what they're saying here is like, you're getting all of this music on streaming services. You're getting all of the content on your phone. Why wouldn't then predictably a streaming service also become your news outlet? So in, instead of like a streaming service, right, is going to want to keep you there for as long as possible. Like it's not a win for them to only have you whenever you're interested in listening to music. They're trying to capture you whenever you listen to a podcast, whenever you listen to news, whenever you want to watch a video, like that would be the end goal of them. And I think that's what they're kind of predicting here is that streaming services are going to start to expand laterally into other things so that they can keep the consumer's attention for longer rather than having, having to go to like, I have to go here for music. I have to go to YouTube for videos. I have to go somewhere else for, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that that's kind of what they're. The prediction is here. Yeah. And, and I could see it go either way, right? Mm -hmm. Part of the mentality is why those services are great is there's no opinion, right? If you're a Republican or a Democrat or, you know, a metalhead or, you know, a punk or whatever, you know, unless you've got some bone to pick with the financial implications of using a particular service, which, you know, I could see that, but that's gotta be a limited amount. 
you can go to these based on whatever your preference is, right? And you don't have to worry about being offended or whether you agree. You know, you do find some trouble sometimes when the CEO, you know, has some sort of issue that comes out. You know, early on, if you recall, you know, people didn't like, uh, what was his name, Daniel Eck, the, the Spotify CEO. Mm-hmm. But yep. but ultimately, as it grows, like, the, 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 the average consumer, you know, they don't give a shit whether or not you're, they're picking up the CD at Walmart or Target or Best Buy. It's whatever is most convenient and and preferable to them. If the Best Buy experience where it used to be, you'd walk in and the CDs were right there, and you only want to spend two minutes in a you know in a place, maybe that's easier than Walmart or Target where you had to kind of navigate past Home Goods, you know, to get to to the product. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, to me, I could easily see you've got the footprint like you just described. You want to keep more people there. And why wouldn't you, in turn, become the place to premiere things, which inevitably we're kind of seeing. You know, there was the time, you know, just a year or even two years ago when, yeah, we wanted to premiere all of our tracks on a blog. Now it's like, no, what's, you know, if, if that precludes us from a Spotify playlist, you know, if, if Spotify saying, no, actually, why don't you just direct people here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we'll put you on this playlist or in the case of a lot of us with YouTube, it's like, you know, you want people to go directly to YouTube because then, you know, your views are bolstered. So I could see how I think some of the ma- the miners who are kind of coming up, you know, the, the secondary or probably even tertiary types of consumer services might be able to grab a niche market because of their opinion, which is really what news inevitably kind of uh, that's what sets news sites apart right i mean yes mm-hmm. the washington post and the new york times and usa today all report essentially the same factual things but whoever's writing it or moreover on a lot of those places you know people are there for the, the opinion of it so yeah that to me is is what if i was at spotify i would want to avoid like the plague I feel you. Uh, Final number five, charts matter less and less. Billboard charts have been considered the best way to gauge the interest of the public for the last half century. The charts have attempted to evolve with the times, introducing new rules that consider streams as sales, but the influence they carry in the music industry has begun to wane. Uh, The new way to gauge popularity is playlists. After all, It's the songs topping the Spotify and Apple music charts that inevitably decide what tops billboard streaming services have up to the minute information on the pulse of music culture. They know what's going to be popular next before anyone else. So why should we continue looking elsewhere for information? We can find ourselves with a few clicks on our phone or desktop computers. Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, there's kind of two, uh, you know, I guess this is industry predictions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked about this. It's like, yeah, we need a way to measure artists. You and I have to be able to say, you know, uh, is artist A comparable to artist B? And in the past, we've used any number, you know, in my algorithm, whether it's, you know, something formal in an Excel spreadsheet or really something like, hey, what is their last headliner in each market average? Uh, you know, what are their social media? What are their, you know, average streams on 
whether it's a video, you know, and then, yeah, what are their sales? And, 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 and in some capacity of just one of those, and those aren't the only things, there might be five or six or seven more merchandise sales, general hype, what does the promoter think, whatever it may be. But inevitably, yes, the, the chart component of that, as we've talked about ad nauseum, will dwindle and or disappear. The question is, does it need to be replaced by something? Or is it just, I mean, the nice thing about that was, you know, none of it, well, I don't want to say none of it could be faked. It was much more challenging to fake, right? Than when, uh, you know, people were running bots on social media things and boosting the numbers that way. You know, it's like Nielsen is the one who controls SoundScan. They do have rules. You know, if you're creative enough, you might be able to bend those rules to work to your advantage. It, you know, but the chances of really, uh, you know, um, the chances of really tricking someone are slim to none. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, but yeah, I, I do think that those charts, you know, and, and what I had to go back and remind myself that this is industry, but to the public, nobody fucking cares, right? No. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, they don't care about charts. They don't really care about anything. For me, I do it all the time. I go on Spotify and I look at what's trending. I don't know, you know, I look at the top 50 US and top 50 viral. I typically know nothing of any of the artists, right? Mm -hmm. But I do check it out. And sometimes I play stuff just to get a gauge as to like what is happening. I never did that with, you know, billboard charts. I didn't say, oh, what's number six? Let me, you know, because that was a bigger, a bigger lift. So I don't know, man. But yes, we do need to continue looking elsewhere for information. Yeah. I mean, look, I hate to be the, you know, simplified guy, but, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of spins, you know, or a lot of Spotify spins or a lot of YouTube views, that doesn't necessarily equate to hard tickets. I can't, I can't pay my bills on, YouTube streams, you know, like, like I can pay my bills on hard tickets, hard numbers, right? What did you gross? How many people did you draw? Like just because an artist has a hot, you know, one hit wonder song on some, some playlist that spins it out of control and like, oh my God, they got 200 million spins. Okay. That is only a metric if it converts to hard tickets and hard sales, in my opinion. Right. So billboard charts and all that stuff. Yeah, it's fucking great and all. And the, and the artists, you know, like to know where they charted and how many records they sold. And yes, that is important. But at the end of the day, to me, the only important number is the amount of people that you're drawing, because that's the really only, only thing that's indicative of what your true value is. Because if you're not converting a major number of streams or views into hard tickets, then you're really not all that popular to begin with. Yeah. And, and, and that's a great point. And, you know, mainly because what I've done for so many years and what I'm in the middle of doing right now is putting together tours, right. You mm-hmm. know, for artists that I help with their careers and when, you know, so much of it is, you know, when I have a headliner, which, you know, I'm putting together a headliner for the fall and, you know, we know what our hard ticket value is. When we look at the direct support band, we're trying to, get a gauge as to what their hard ticket value is, you know, and depending on if we've got two or three more bands, some of those we're using all of that other information to make a 
you know, educated guess, almost a bet as to, okay, here we are the end of February, right? Going into March. And we're talking about tour in October, November, December. Like what tools are we going to use to, you know, make that best guess? And so that's why some of this stuff, you know, again, if I'm comparing band A, band B and band C, right? I wanted to have as much information as possible. Some of these bands don't have solid headline tour history, right? They've only been out on other support tours. So, you know, just in the real world, practical implementation of this is that's why we need a, you know, a comparative to measure, you know, that's why, as I'm sure, you know, your, your point is a great one. It's like, if there's an, if, if one of those artists has gone and done some headlining runs and have sold out or, you know, not even sold out, but sold 150 tickets, you know, on average in any given market, yeah, they're going to get a better look than the, the band who either hasn't done that and has no proven value or went and tried it and sold half the tickets. Yep. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, I guess the takeaway of all, you know, in this in particular, especially for those of you that are developing artists is charts matter less, but you still have to have some metrics. And I think Blasco's point is a great one. You know, cool. You got to, you know, you got X amount of Spotify listens. Some of those just come from being on playlists. Some of those come from countries that, you know, aren't, aren't even going to contribute to your hard ticket sales. So, you know, you got to be a well-rounded, uh, entity in order to really, you know, shine through, meaning you've got to have multiple things. And the more that you can have that are, that are hard and verifiable, i.e. we sold, you know, 300 tickets in our home market and sold $3,000 worth of merchandise. Those are the type of numbers that the guys like me and Blasco that have been doing this for so long, they mean more, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, they mean more than cool. I've got, you know, this random, you know, stat on a streaming service. Yep. Well, that concludes episode 107. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions you have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? Yeah, buddy. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike O'Loop. And for more information on some great products for to take your band another step ahead, go to OuterLoopCoaching.com. That's what I got. There it is. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.
This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.